to go somewhere and glorify Him. Amen. You know, I never want people to think I'm somebody. I was in a church a couple of years ago in Virginia. And the pastor had called me, would you come? I'm going on vacation. Would you fill my pulpit? I said, I would be honored. I told God a long, long, long time ago, you ask me and I'll do it. And sometimes that's hard. But I went up to this church. It was called Falling River, a little Baptist church. And I was met at the door by a man named Paul, great guy, nice guy, just like your pastor. Of course, you know him better than I do. And uh, just welcomed me and made me feel so comfortable. He said, now come on back to the office. He said, all the deacons are back there. We're going to pray. I thought, well, that's a great idea. I need prayer. And I hope if you're here today, you've been praying or you have been praying for me. I've asked other people to be praying for me. So I went back to the office with this nice guy named Paul, and I went into into the pastor's office, and here were ten men, all ages, all sizes. And uh, Paul says, "Uh, before we pray, we have just a little bit of business to take care of. And I said, well, let me step out. He said, no, 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 just sit here. So the business was something to do with the parking lot and spending some funds. And, you know, a church has business that it needs to take care of. And they wanted to keep their testimony with the, with the community. And so after he presented the, and they seconded, they decided to vote. And he went one by one around the room to each deacon. What do you say? What do you say? What do you say? When he got to this guy over here, the oldest man in the room with a scowl on his face, instead of voting, he looked at me and he said, Who are you? I said, I'm nobody. I'm nobody, but I love Jesus, and he saved me. He saved me. I said, and your pastor graciously is trusting me to speak to you today. And I don't take that light. He says, oh, I thought, man, that set the mood. (laughs) But you know what? Two people got up in the balcony, 80 people up there. And why people were in the balcony, I don't know, because half the floor was empty. But two young people got up in that balcony that morning and came down that aisle and fell on their knees and asked Jesus to save them. But it wasn't me. It was him. It was him. I had prepared a whole sermon. And then my wife showed me the bulletin and said, you got to share your story. And I had planned on sharing parts of it, but I know what God wants me to do. 
And I always like to start out with a verse, 2 Corinthians 5.17, very familiar verse, one of the first verses I ever memorized. Therefore, if any man, any woman, anyone, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things pass away, and behold, all things, all things become new. That's my story. That's my story. Uh, I shared this at faith uh, last fall in the, in the chapel. And uh, Dr. Jim, he was actually having a heart procedure that day. And uh, so at the last minute, they said, Joe, would you do the chapel? You know, and I'm over there changing light bulbs, you know. But I said, of course, you ask, Lord, I'll do it. And with shaky knees and nerves, I, I got up there and I shared what God had done in my life. I grew up just south of here in Kansas City, Missouri. My father was an electrician. He had five sons. My father was a hardworking man. He was a, what people would call a good man. At his funeral, at his funeral, man after man, person after person came by and shook my hand. Your dad was a good man. Your father was a good man. I even had people say he was one of the best men I, I ever knew. But you know what? Not one person, not one person, said your dad was a godly man. Your dad was a godly man. I don't want people to say I'm a good man. Not at my funeral. I want people to say he's with his Lord. He's with his Savior, Jesus Christ. But my dad was a good guy. Little short guy, Marine. 1944 in the Marine Corps. Uh, came home, married my mother. They had right off the bat five boys. I was right in the middle. My dad wanted me to be a, a Marine. He wanted me to be a man's man. He bought us boxing gloves. He taught us how to fight. He told us he wanted to be our friends as teenagers. And I know he loved me even though he never said it. Till I was was 30 years old. But he was a good guy. I never missed a meal. I always had clothes. And my dad liked to drink. And my dad was a guy with who believed he had self-control. He would drink and then on New Year's Day, he would quit. And he wouldn't touch it again till his birthday in April. Just to prove to himself, I am in control. And you know what? As a young man, and I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm not blaming my dad. He loved me. He thought he was doing the best he could. As a young man, as teenagers, he started to give us beer. My two older brothers... And myself. And he would say, 
look, you guys, I put beer in that refrigerator downstairs. You can have it all, but don't leave. I don't want you driving. Have your girlfriends come over. I don't care. We're going to the lake, but don't drink and drive. Okay, Dad. Okay, Dad. Right. Right. You see, the thing my father didn't understand was maybe he did have some self-control. But he raised five boys, five sons, and every one of them became an alcoholic and a drug abuser of some kind or another. He would have never have wanted that. Never. Well, growing up as a young man, we started down that path. I didn't know. No one told me when I started drinking at at 15 and 16 and 17 that someday I couldn't quit. No one told me that it would lead me down a path that I would be enslaved by it. And because of that that path and because of that 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 path I was on and, and the the sin that was was wrapping itself around me like chain. I took other people with me. I met a beautiful young girl, high school. And before, uh, before we could get out of, of high school, we were going to have to get married. We were going to have a baby. Well, that didn't help me. But I remember this. I remember her older brother saying, look, you don't want to marry that loser. And he was right. He said, but so I'll give you the money to terminate the pregnancy. Back in those days, it was $600. $600. And I praise God for that beautiful young lady who said, I would never do that. I would never do that. We're going to get married. And I hope someday you can invite him down here. His name is Jared. He just turned 50 years old. He's been the joy of our life. When I, the the first time I ever went to a, to the Baptist church two blocks from our house after we had trusted Christ. I took Jared and our two little children with us. The first time we ever went through the door, Jared went to Sunday school. When he came out, he ran up. He threw his arms around me. Dad, 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 I got saved today. And he never turned back. Went to Bible college, Northland, where I met. Dr. O and uh, Jim Tillotson was at Northland. And uh, he went out, he, he came home, went to seminary. And then one day he said, Dad, I'm going to Guam. I said, What are you going to Guam for? He goes, I don't know, but God told me I'm going to Guam. And when he finished seminary, sure enough, Dr. Heron, who's at Faith now, called Jared and said, Hey, I need you to come to Guam. And Jared laughed. But you know, I never knew. I never knew. 
when I was a young man taking those steps that it could destroy my life. No one told me. No one told me there would be mornings when I woke up and, uh, and I couldn't stop the, the, what I called the heebie-jeebies. And so on the way to a construction site, I would buy more alcohol. No one told me. No one told me that after I'd been married for, for nine years, it would all fall apart. That I, I, I would come to a place in my life where I didn't want to live anymore. I remember waking up one Saturday morning and staggering into the bathroom. And when I looked in the mirror, it shook me to the core. I thought, what am I doing? What am I doing? I have a wife. I have three children. She's going to take them away. And the person I saw in the mirror, the only way I could describe it was death. He looked like an old, haggard, dead Man, I was 26 years old. I couldn't tell you what I'd been doing or where I'd been. But I remember that morning. It shook me to the core. I remember this. I said, God, God, if you're real, and he is. If you're real, God, I need help. I need help. Send me an angel. Why I ask that, I don't know. And you know, I wish I could tell you, the next day we went to church and everything was okay. But it didn't, it didn't work that way. For me, I think God wanted me to hit bottom, and I wasn't at bottom yet. But I do remember from that point on, I recognized something in my life, that there was something missing. There was, it felt like a hole in my heart. That was, there was something missing, and no matter what I put in, it would never fill it up. I remember going to work and I would have anxiety attack. I would think about, if this is life, I don't want it. I remember standing on the top of a 20-story construction site. And I was having an anxiety attack. And I thought, you know, why am I putting up with this pain? Emotional pain. Why don't I just step off? But I'm going to tell you what stopped me. What if there is a God? What if there is a heaven? What if there is a hell? You know, it's a, it's a tough spot to be in when you're too afraid to die, but you're just as afraid to live. And that's exactly where I was at. So I just kept going. The only way I could hide that emptiness was to fill it up. Fill it up. But when I'd wake up again, the emptiness was back. Oh God, oh God, when are you going to help me? How can I get out of this? 
I would listen to Christian radio. I took my oldest son. He, he, he was eight or nine. I grabbed him on Sunday morning. And I would go to a church. My parents were, were independence Mormons. So I tried that. It made no sense. I couldn't find any help. And I can't tell you why I was at home this night because I had trouble going home. But my wife and I had been at each other for weeks and months. She told me she wanted to divorce me. I was so full of anxiety and emptiness. I was so depressed. I went home and I was sitting in our living room and I was, I was drinking just like I always did. And it was a cold, dark December night in 1980. And I saw lights pull in our driveway. And I thought to myself, who comes to our house? Especially at night. And I wondered who it could be. And I, I've shared this with my wife and others. I thought it was, may have been the police. I got up and I went to the window. And you know how you do? You know, hey. I saw these two guys get out. They're carrying these big black books. And you know what I said? Oh, no. <laughs> my mother called the church. <laughs> My mom knew we were at the end of the road. But you know what? They came to the door. And my wife doesn't like it when I tell this part of the story. There was a shelf over on this wall, so I ran and stuck my drink up on the shelf. She got in behind the door, was looking out the other window. She said, I said, they're from the church. She goes, don't let them in. And I said, okay. And I opened the door. (laughs) This is my house for a little while longer. (laughs) Man, praise God. I let him in. Bob. Bob Donovan. Little Irish captain on the fire department. These guys were regular guys. They were wearing flannel shirts like some of you. I almost wore my best flannel shirt today. (laughs) And a a younger man with him, Larry, Larry Reister, a chemist at Cook Paint Company. I said, hey, guys, what's up? I looked down at their Bibles. They said, hey, we'd just like to come in and talk to you just for a little bit. About God. I said, sure, come on in. So it was amazing how it worked. And I found out later they were part of an evangelism class at that Baptist church two blocks from our house. And they had been going on Wednesday nights and and studying and learning how to share the gospel. So Larry, they were a team. Larry grabbed our children, including this new little baby that wasn't a year old, and said, can I take the kids in the other room and tell them a story? And that way Bob can have your attention. 
And that was a good thing. They took our children in the other room. And Bob came in and Marla and I sat down and he sat down. And he started with the small talk. What do you do? You know, you have a lovely home. And and, uh, just small talk. And then after a few minutes, Bob looked me right in the eyes. And he said, Joe, can I ask you a personal question? Can I ask you a personal question? An important question? I said, sure, go ahead. Go ahead. He said, Joe, if you die tonight, where will you spend eternity? Man, that's a pointed question. You know what my response was? People like me don't go to heaven. In fact, I think I said, I feel like I have one foot in hell already. And you know what he said? Joe, you don't want to go to hell, do you? I said, no. No. I don't. Then he turned to my wife, Marla. And by the way, she stuck with me. 51 years next week. And I've drug her all over the place. (laughs) Thank you, darling. Thank you. He turned to her and said, Marla, what about you? She says, well, I think I'll go to heaven. And, you know, these are typical responses. Well, what makes you think you'd go to heaven, Marla? Well, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. She pointed her finger right at me. I don't do the things he does. It was all true. She goes, I've held this family together for nine years. I've held this family together, but I can't do it anymore. He said, well, Marla, let me show you kids. He called us kids. Let me show you kids what the Bible has to say. So he opened the Bible. Guess. Guess where? John 3.16. First verse I ever read out loud in my life. He handed it to me. Joe, read this. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. He said, Joe, do you understand what that says? I said, well, not really. He goes, God sent Jesus To die on a cross for your sins. I'd heard it all my life as a little kid. Even in the Mormon church. That Jesus had died on the cross. He goes, Joe, look at this. And he pulled out a gospel tract. It's called The Bridge to Life. And he began to show us verse by verse. First he showed us Romans 3.23 which I, I, I hope you put these verses to memory. For all have what? Sinned. And come short of the glory of God. He said, Marla, did you hear that? All. All have sinned. All have sinned. He said, Marla, are you a sinner? 
She said, yes. He didn't have to ask me. I already knew. (laughs) Then, of course, he took us to 623, the wages of sin. The wages of sin. What are wages? You know, it's what we earn. It's what we work to get. And we feel like we deserve them. And we certainly deserve the wages of sin because every person in here is a sinner. And so he showed us the wages of sin is death. And he explained what death is. We think we understand death. But I didn't. He said, Joe, death is separation. Your soul, your spirit separated from your body. But he goes, there's a worse death than physical death. He said, physical death is not an escape from life. He said, physical death is when you're separated from God. And he goes, Joe, if you're separated from God, you can't go to heaven. Because the wages of sin is is death. So then he went on to Romans 5.8. But God demonstrated His love, commended His love toward us. In that while we are yet sinners, even though I was a drunk, even though I I had been involved in so many ugly, terrible things, even though God demonstrated His love to me because just the way I was, He died for me. God demonstrated His love towards us. In that while we were yet or still in our sin, Christ died for us. Joe, Jesus went to the cross. Joe, Jesus wants to pay your penalty. Then, of course, Romans 10, 9 and 10, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. I love that word, whosoever. Joe, that's you. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's 1013. But we read 9 and 10. That if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. And I'm sorry, I just went blank on quoting it. But it says, God will save you. God will save you. And you know what happened? After he shared and explained and shared, he said, Joe, can you think of any reason? And this is a good question to ask. If you can get someone to this point. Can you think of any reason, any reason you wouldn't? Want to trust Jesus as your Savior. Can you think of any reason not to invite Him into your life tonight? Tonight. And I said, Bob, that's the best deal anybody's ever offered me. 
That's the best thing anybody's ever offered me. And so, on December 11th, 1980, about 8 o'clock in the evening, maybe 8.30, I got down on my knees in that house on Kansas Avenue, 4136. A young man, a young drunkard uh, with all kinds of chains and sins. And the light came on in my heart. I said, it's true, it's true. Jesus loves me. It's true. And I said this. I didn't know how to pray. I said, God, I'm sorry. I've messed up my life. And you know, it took me a while to figure this out. But when you mess up your life, You're hurting others. It's not just about you. And I said, God, I've messed up my life. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Forty-two years ago. And you know what? I'm never going to get over it. And I'm never going to stop sharing it. God, I'm sorry. Jesus, would you save me? Just a few minutes later, my beautiful young wife got on her knees and said a very similar prayer. We stood up. We looked at each other. What just happened? What just happened? I don't know. Do you feel different? I do. I don't feel that emptiness. What's happened to that emptiness? And you know what? Bob said, Joe, it was... By this time, maybe 9 o'clock, he said, we've got to go, but we want to bring you some, uh, just a little 10-question follow-up. Could we run over to the church and bring it back? And I learned this later on. When he went back to the church, there was a whole group of people that knew Bob and Larry were detained, and they were praying, God, save those people. Save those people. I hope you're praying for lost people. And I'd like to talk a little more about that in the Sunday school hour. But they were praying for us. They didn't even know us. You don't have to know a person to pray them into the kingdom of God. God knows them. And so they ran and they came back with this little 10 question follow up. And my wife and I sat up all night talking to each other. Not fighting, not bickering, just talking. What happened? Are we going to change? Is this going to save our marriage? (laughs) It did. It did. And I I, got to keep an eye. What time are we? 
Am I done? <laughs> Not yet? Okay. It did. And like I said, my oldest son got saved the first time we ever went to church. He was a pastor for 20 years. He taught at faith. He's, he's our, our number one. And one by one, my second born got saved and trusted Christ and went to Northland Bible College. And he's a, he's a good man, a good businessman, and he's tried to teach his kids about Christ. And then our daughter, she met her husband in Bible college. It's just been such a blessed life to know Jesus. I didn't know we were going to change so much. I didn't know he would take me halfway around the world. I didn't know he would, he would call me up to faith on a Sunday night and I'd get a knot in my stomach, but I was smart enough to say yes. I didn't know. But he knew. Let me tell you. There's no greater life. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, what in the world are you waiting for? There's no greater life. There's no greater life. We went to church that first Sunday and our lives began to change. And God, that that verse I quoted, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, King James says, or a new creation. Things started to change. We got excited about going to church. Uh, this bat, white-haired Baptist preacher, uh, Olin Baxter, now gone home to be with the Lord. I came in the very first Sunday. I didn't even have a Bible. He started preaching. I looked around. Everybody's got Bibles. We need Bibles. And when I heard him deliver the Word of God... I'd never heard anything like it. And we joined the new believers class. And little by little, God began to work on me and changed me. I, I, I worked construction. Like uh, Pastor said, I, I was electrician in the field for 25 years before I moved into the office. But the first uh, Monday, I went back to work, you know, and... and uh, um, there were other crafts on the job, and I got in an argument with a bricklayer because I was an electrician, and you're a bricklayer, and we're more important than you. See, God had to change a lot of things in me. Let me tell you what He did that day. I ripped off a bunch of words at this guy. And I also took the Lord's name in vain. I'd never heard my language before or never paid attention to it. I heard it that day. And when I took the Lord's name in vain, I got physically sick. I walked away. I found a closet. I said, oh, Jesus, how could I say that? I'm sorry. But you see, the old things pass away. 
This old physical body hungered for alcohol. So I thought, I had read uh, John chapter 2 that Jesus made wine. I said, that's it. How foolish that was. So I kept drinking. I tried to cut back and I came up with this good idea. You know, if I would just have a, a, a mixed drink or a wine instead of beer, I wouldn't drink so much. But you know what I did? Instead of going in the front door of the old places I hung out, I started driving around back and going in the back door. Why? I knew God could see me. I knew God could see me. But I thought, what if that preacher drives by and sees my old truck? (laughs) And I was trying. Let me tell you something. If you're here today and there's something you struggle and struggle and struggle, stop trying. Let God have it. Let God have it. We were saved in December. In February, I was sitting at lunch. I was reading a little booklet that one of the young men in the church was doing a one-on-one with me and his wife was doing one-on-one with my wife. And it was a little book called uh, My Heart is Christ Home. And it talks about how our life is like a house. We have a, a living room. We have a, a, a recreation room. And the things we put in those And we have a closet where we hide things. Well, that day sitting down that construction site reading that booklet, I looked in my closet. And there it was. Whiskey and beer. So that night I got in my pickup and... It was a Friday night and Friday night was the big night of the week because you had a paycheck And the places we hung out would cash your paycheck for you, of course. And I was headed to that place in that old 66 Chevy pickup. And I heard a voice. It wasn't audible. It was in here. I don't know if it's a thought, but I heard it just like I'm standing here. Here's what it said. Joe, why do you take me in those places? I have to. Joe, you don't need that anymore. You have me. You have me. I shocked my wife that night. I turned that old truck towards the house instead of the bar. I pulled in the driveway at 5 o'clock instead of 7 or 8. I walked through the door. I said, honey, I don't think God wants me drinking anymore. And this Christian young lady who I had been bickering with for 
the last four or five years said these things. Why don't you just pray about it? And you know, when she said that, I realized she hadn't been complaining. She hadn't been nagging me. I used to use that word nag. That gives me an excuse to go. But there hadn't been any nagging. Something's different. Something's changed. So that night I got on my knees next to my bed. I said, God, I got to tell you something. Like he didn't know. I'm a drunk. God, I'm telling you, I'm a drunk. I can't quit, God. So if you want me to quit, you got to help me. Then I went to sleep. The next morning, I woke up early, Saturday morning, 7 o'clock, for the first time and since I could remember. I didn't have a headache. I didn't have an upset stomach. I didn't have bloodshot eyes. I went downstairs and in my head I thought, I feel born again. I said, Jesus, I know as long as I stay close to you, I'll never drink again. I went in and I got my two boys out of that bedroom off the bunk beds. I said, come here, boys. I want you to hear this. As long as your daddy walks close to Jesus, he'll never drink again. I said, come on, I need your help. There was beer in the refrigerator. There was bottle after bottle in our our hidden liquor cabinet, which I was always afraid would spring open when the preacher was there. I started taking the caps off and handing them to the boys. The five-year-old was standing on a stool. and Jared was reaching over the counter and they're dumping all this booze in the sink. The house smelled awful. She woke up. What are you doing? I said, I'm not going to drink anymore. As long as I stay close to Jesus. That's the answer. That's the answer. I haven't even wanted a drop in 42 years. Because I want to stay close to Him. I've been offered, and I'm going to tell you something that's sad. We live in a day where so many young people think it's okay. It's not okay for me. I was saved from that. And I praise Jesus for it. Time. I could go on all day if you want me to, but uh, thank you for letting me come and share that. It's been a journey, and, and next hour I'll share the second parts. But let me say this, and then I'm going to pray. We all struggle from time to time. And the most important thing we can do with any struggle, any trial, any temptation, anything that's got its, its, its claws in you is give it to Jesus. But you can't give it to Jesus 
if you've never trusted him as your Savior. So again, I implore you, if you're here today, if you're here today, what a glorious day it would be if you would trust Jesus as your Savior. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for allowing me this privilege. And oh God, thank you for saving me and my wife and my children and for these dear people here. Lord, we just trust you're being glorified, you're being honored, and Lord, we want all that to go to you. The work you're doing in the hearts of your people, even today, is for your glory. So we commit this time to you. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.